Hello everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your host, Stephanie Holland, alongside our moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360. Today we're speaking with two researchers who recently provided their expertise on the diagnosis and management of pulmonary embolisms at CHESS 2021. Well, thank you both for joining us on the podcast today. If you don't mind just introducing yourselves for our audience with your title and your position, please. Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Bhavin Dalal. I'm an associate professor of internal medicine in Division of Pulmonary Critical Care at Oakland University William Beaumont School of Medicine and a pulmonary critical care sleep physician at Beaumont Health, uh, located in the Detroit, Michigan area. Also a program director for pulmonary critical care fellowship. Oh, hi. My name is Dr. Vijay Balasubramanian. I'm a professor of medicine at UCSF Fresno, which is a a program that's an offshoot of uh, the main campus UCSF. I also direct the pulmonary hypertension program here at UCSF Fresno. And obviously, my predominant clinical interest is pulmonary vascular disease and interstitial lung disease. Well, thank you both for joining. I know you have a lot going on, so I appreciate you taking the time. If you don't mind just starting off, Can you both please give us a brief overview of your session and your research, please? During CHASE 2021, uh, we had an entire session about uh, controversies in the diagnosis and management of pulmonary embolism, which is a very important disorder. And a lot of patients are actually dying because of pulmonary embolism in hospital. So we have a separate uh, sections or subsections of the diagnosis and management, including a role of an IVC filter, including the role of a CTP protocol in a patient who presented with syncope, a role of a catheter-directed therapies, as well as the garden variety thrombolysis in an intermediate risk pulmonary embolism. So my session was about the intermediate risk pulmonary embolism and a need for a thrombolysis. In a, one of the largest uh, randomized controlled trial uh, known as a PATHO trial published in 2013, uh, we found that for all comers of an intermediate risk pulmonary embolism, thrombolysis is probably not useful. Although Several meta-analyses said the fourth and back uh, debated between the thrombolysis is useful versus thrombolysis is not useful. Current consideration and the guideline says that the regular or a garden variety patient of intermediate risk PE probably may not benefit uh, from thrombolysis, but if there are high-risk patients out of those intermediate risk PE, they may probably benefit. For example, if they have a significant uh, RV-LV ratio difference, or they have a coexisting femoral or proximal clot, or they deteriorate subsequently after they were started on anticoagulation. Those patients may benefit from a thrombolysis, but that was a session I had. Yeah, thank you for that, Balvin. Yeah, uh, my session is actually relatively uh, more simpler and uh, actually very interesting. And thanks to Balvin for uh, inviting me for the session. Pulmonary embolism, often known as the universal masquerader, is very well known for being the kind of like the dark horse or the hidden disease that can eventually cause sudden death of a patient. And obviously, we've known so much about this particular condition over the few last several years, but it still is ever elusive when it comes to a diagnosis standpoint and when it comes to picking up the diagnosis at the right time. And uh, of all the manifestations, obviously, very commonly, people think of short mean by 
people may present with acute tolerance of shortness of breath, yes. discomfort and things like that. But it is uncommon sometimes to see a manifestation of syncope. So I was challenged with this particular topic about what is the role of syncope as a manifestation of pulmonary embolism? Is this a very pertinent manifestation? How would you respond to a patient that's presenting with syncope? Is this, uh, how alarming is it? What are the signals, particularly towards pulmonary embolism? And there are uh, signals going both ways. So my particular talk focuses on how common is pulmonary embolism as a cause for syncope when you take the large umbrella of syncope and the many etiologies associated with syncope. And if you flip that thing around, how common is syncope as a manifestation of pulmonary embolism if you take a pool of patients of pulmonary embolism? So the talk centers around this particular aspect, and obviously we will be talking more about it in tomorrow's uh, session. But that is, I think it's a very interesting session. And uh, again, like to thank Bhavan for inviting me for this session because it's been very useful. What are the key clinical take-home messages for the audience from each of your sessions? So as I mentioned before, the very important clinical message for an intermediate risk pulmonary embolism uh, when it is a question for a thrombolysis versus no thrombolysis, the first message is that the garden variety patient may not be helped with a thrombolysis or any intervention. We need to find out a very, very high risk or a seeker population of an intermediate risk pulmonary embolism. One of the study was done by Fazulo and the group found a mortality benefit in the intermediate risk pulmonary embolism compared to the eight different randomized controlled trials, uh, which did not. In a Fazulo study, the patients were very sick. For example, their RVLV ratio was more than 1.5 their BNP levels uh, were more than 500. In a Fazulo study, uh, the control arm, the people who did not receive the thrombolysis, did have a 17% mortality. And if we are thinking uh, that high level of a mortality in any given patients, those patients may benefit from the thrombolysis, but not every patient of intermediate risk pulmonary embolism. Yeah, thank you, Bhavan. Yeah, as far as uh, the take-home messages from my topic in this particular category is concerned, is pulmonary embolism, the manifestation of syncope in pulmonary embolism. Now, not all syncope is related to pulmonary embolism. In fact, there has been some conflicting data pertaining to the true incidence of pulmonary embolism as an etiology for syncope. One of the most controversial, very stimulating paper was the NEJM 2016 PACIC trial that actually reported a relatively high prevalence of syncope in the first time syncope in patients presenting with pulmonary embolism who got admitted to the hospital. And in that particular study, they actually showed that about one in six patients admitted with syncope actually ended up having pulmonary embolism. But obviously, this was a very remarkable um, finding and a very um, much to the contrary of other studies that have found much, much lower numbers. So there has been subsequent studies and preceding studies that have revealed much lower prevalence of syncope. And obviously the talk will revolve around these aspects. But if you look at the uh, flip side of it, 
uh, how common is syncope as a manifestation of pulmonary embolism, then you do, studies have shown that from 10 to 22% of patients with pulmonary embolism can actually have syncope as a manifestation. In a more recent Turkish series that was from, I think, just three years ago, 2018, about 5% of patients presented with syncope. Again, the numbers clearly tend to vary as far as the syncope as a manifestation. But obviously, the take-home point is to, first of all, recognize that it is a well-known etiology for pulmonary embolism, but it is also relatively rare an etiology. And one still needs to consider syncope in the right context with the right pre-test clinical probability to consider proceeding with a workup such as CT pulmonary angiogram in the decision of basically working up somebody for pulmonary embolism. So in the current era where there is overuse of CT pulmonary angiogram, this very crucial basic clinical step is very important in, in regulating the diagnosis of pulmonary embolism. What would you say is next for research on the diagnosis and management of acute pulmonary embolism? So acute pulmonary embolism, I guess, is a very hot topic. And there are, <laughs> there are always researchers trying to find out more and more a diagnostic and therapeutic endeavors. I will say at least from the perspective of an intermediate risk pulmonary embolism, the studies probably are going on for a very high risk uh, PE and what to do with them. Should we treat them with a regular systematic uh, thrombolysis? Should we treat them with uh, catheter-directed therapies? Should we treat them with a half-dose TPA or half-dose thrombolysis? Should we treat them with a continuous infusions of the TPA into the pulmonary artery directly versus the systematic TPA. So there are lots of trials or studies or research questions are being answered from that perspective. We will have results available in a due course of time. I would, uh, Jessica, I would certainly echo Bhavan's comments on that. I think the main crux as far as where research is going to be directed towards is the, the pool of intermediate risk pulmonary embolism as to what to do with them. And Bhavan has very nicely summarized all of the issues that are, are still remaining to be issues with studies going either way. The other aspect I wish to emphasize, it's still, even at this day and age, it still remains the ultimate masquerader and early diagnosis and risk profiling somebody would certainly be a very pertinent part of research. As much as we have improved in detecting pulmonary embolism, our pre-test assessments and severity indices that we have are very good, but I'm sure uh, further research and further biomarker research will help us sharpen these tools much better than what we have it right now. So I think apart from the management of intermediate risk pulmonary embolism, I think diagnosis of pulmonary embolism is another major aspect of research. Just to add upon the Vijay's point, it is so ironic that the on a one side, we are doing lots of CTP protocol or known as a CT pulmonary angiogram and we don't find a PE. So as Vijay was mentioning earlier that we are overdoing CTPE. On the other side, we also have evidence that a lot of people do die with the pulmonary embolism and those are found actually during the autopsy and not before the death. So either on a, we are on this side of the spectrum or we are on the other side of a spectrum and certainly the more diagnostic studies or the proper diagnostic studies will be 
the future. Absolutely, uh, echo those comments uh, completely. In fact, I'll be talking about that autopsy series on uh, and during the tomorrow's talk. Well, thank you both for your time. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? You know, pulmonary embolism is a vast topic, and a lot of things could be covered, including the early diagnosis and treatment. Who are the people we can send home directly from the emergency room, or who are the patients we need to admit in the ICU and monitor better? Are the questions and the several studies has helped us to answer those questions. As the VJ mentioned also that the, the specific symptoms like syncope, what to do with it in the pulmonary embolism, still a big area for research or the discussion. Yeah. And one more thing, uh, pretty much part, I hope it's okay, because the data pertaining to the initiative of pulmonary embolism response teams is actually very impressive. So most institutions are forming pulmonary embolism response teams. And obviously, we are very proud of PARTH for actually being one of the leaders in that aspect and defining the role of a PERT team. And it would have been very useful to get his input in this kind of scenario. And I would certainly appreciate Bhavan's comments on that with regards to the PERT team uh, and its impact on pulmonary embolism diagnosis and management. What do you think, Bhavan? Absolutely agree. I think the, and the PARTH actually also recently had a, a new paper in the chest about the PERT consortium. And the most of the hospitals have actually PERT team or the PERT initiatives and uh, shown to improve outcomes also. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Catch up with all of our episodes at consultant360.com slash podcasts. Stay tuned for more.